Digital distribution, once considered the bane of gaming by hardcore purists, has instead ushered in a new era for our favorite form of entertainment. It didn't help that one of the first examples presented before us was the vaporware that was the Phantom console, but Valve and Microsoft paved a better road with their Steam and Xbox Live arcade distribution channels. Now we live in a world where you can purchase games old and new, AAA and indie, just by clicking a button. Tonight we'll chat with Trent Oster of Beamdog Games about their service, and GT staff writer Victor Grunt joins us as we talk about the rise, growth, and acceptance of digital distribution. For the week of October 31st, I'm Mike Dunn. And I'm Ron Burke. And this is the Gaming Trend Podcast. So, let's talk for a minute about what we're playing this week. <laughs> you got a big one, huh? Yeah. Uh, so, I'm playing Skyrim. Uh, so, the game's out on 11.11.11, as we all know and probably see in our sleep at this point. Um <laughs> It's impossible to get through a game like Skyrim in any reasonable amount of time. So I'd like to thank the guys at Bethesda for making sure that I had it early enough to be able to give you guys a real good, solid look at it. Uh, even if I don't get to beat it in that time, which honestly, as big as this game is, I kind of wonder if I'm even going to be able to do that. But uh, yeah, I'm working on Skyrim. Nice. <clears throat> Pretty much focused on that heart, you know, like a laser right now. I know Pretty much. Been, I know you've been waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, I picked up Arkham Asylum. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. So I've gotten uh, maybe an hour or two into that and had to shelve it for Skyrim. Um, you know, there's other titles that are coming out around that time. But uh, yeah, like a laser, as you said, Skyrim. <laughs> all Skyrim, all the time. So I'm a little further through Arkham Asylum. Um, it's uh, I haven't finished it for want of, you know, not wanting to. I, I, I definitely... Uh, Definitely have been savoring every minute of it. Uh, I know, I know. Justin's review has been getting uh, a bit of critique from some of our readers. Uh, I, I gotta say, I'm not entirely disagreeing with some of what he says, um, but you know, I, I think we just need to re- remind everybody that reviews are a personal account of a game, so. It, it it you, you just got to you got to understand that some people might not like a game as much as you would um uh, i know i know uh i know a, a score of 88 is really nothing to spit at so mm-hmm. i i think he 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 gave it a fair shake certainly and you you can't compare uh titles so you can't say well arkham asylum got an 88 but you know, XYZ title got a 90. What, how's that fair? Well, yeah. they're two different titles. And everybody's experience is going to be slightly different. Um, it also has to do with, uh, you know, how fast you run through the title. If you play the side missions, that kind of stuff makes a difference. What difficulty level you're playing it on. Um, I know that there have been titles in the past that I've played on higher difficulty levels. And I was just so frustrated that I want to throw the damn game. But uh, backing it off to a somewhat more normal difficulty level uh, evened out the experience. A lot of times developers will balance on a certain difficulty level, and that's the intended experience for the audience. So tinkering with that probably makes a difference as well. Um, But at the end of the day, it's his opinion. So your your opinion may vary, but 
the don't focus so much on the numbers. Focus more on what he had to say. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, who cares what the number is? Uh, look at you know how he talked about the way the missions flow, characters, their interaction, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, ha- not having the Catwoman missions unless you purchase it new. Uh, if you, well, we're going to talk a little bit about it when we talk about digital distribution, but uh, that can really flavor, you know, the score quite right. a bit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and also realize that here at Gaming Trend, um, we really do try to 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 complete as much of the game as possible. Uh, I know Justin played through the the entirety of the the main campaign, um, and uh, I mean he's told he's told me a few things that that he was concerned about, and he's just like wait till you get to the end, and uh, and so I it, I guess that's why I'm kind of savoring some of the side stuff right now because I'm afraid I might get disappointed. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean I mean we've seen that before. Yeah. Uh, Metal Gear, uh, what was it? Rise of the Patriots. Uh, great game, and then all of a sudden, you know, and you see all the reviews that came out for it. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, this game is great! This game is great!" You know, and then a couple people were bagging on Raiden or whatever, or Raiden, and uh, you know, but the folks that actually played it through the end got to the why am I running around naked holding my junk and doing cartwheels? You know, that kind of stuff at the very end. Uh, unless you get to the end, you're not going to see that. Exactly. Uh, we we saw a more recent example of that with one of the Spider-Man titles. Uh, you know, the folks that played through the first half of it didn't have any problems with frame rate, but then there's a, a catastrophic event in the city and Venom has basically all but destroyed the city and it's covered with webbing and everything else. And the frame rate just went right to the trash. The The reviews couldn't be split any more 50, 50 folks who played it that far and folks that didn't. So uh, we really do try to, to make sure that we've, we've experienced as much of the game as possible without you know being unreasonable like a sweet uh, a a title you know, those titles are 100 plus hours just like uh, skyrim is you know so it's difficult to to get through everything mm-hmm. but we want to make sure that we do cover the vast majority of of what a player will experience if they pitch out that 60 bucks yeah yep uh, so enough about that <clears throat> yeah what else are you playing so uh also playing a little game called rocksmith which uh it, it, I guess it, it's kind of hard to even call it a game in some ways. It's it's more of like a uh, an, a, a very intuitive kind of training software um, that has gaming elements. Uh, I'm I'm basically going through it with my son who's 13 and he's recently taken an interest in guitar, uh, an interest that was actually kind of. The, the core of it started with the the rock band and guitar hero titles um, and uh, I, we've kind of uh, gone, gone a lot he's been playing the acoustic guitar he took a he, he took some time over the summer to to go to a uh, guitar camp and now he's he's trying out the electric with rocksmith and uh, working on a, a comprehensive video review of that. Uh, I've been playing it some as well. And, uh, I'm also going to have some actual professional, uh, guitarists, uh, come over and give it a shot. And, uh, just going to try to, to document this as, as well as I possibly can and, and get, give everybody a good feel for this really surprise kind of, um, just awesome little title. 
Nice. Um, you were telling me uh, earlier that you picked up a Connect. Yes. Uh, what, ca- what came with that? Uh, well, of course, uh, <laughs> it, the the Packins still have the Connect Adventures, which I haven't tried yet, uh, and uh, Project no Child of Eden, um, which uh, I've downloaded and I haven't tried yet. M- my kids have been been playing with that, but I did take a moment to uh, pop in the one title I did purchase for it, uh, Once Upon a Monster the double fine title that I've been uh, very enthusiastic about. And uh, basically last week I I showed my two-year-old some video footage from it and she couldn't stop talking about it. And so once payday hit, I pretty much just had to go out and buy it. Nice. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Having a lot of fun with that. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how she interacts with that game. Very cool. So yeah, coming out this week, uh, we've got a few big ones. Yep. Biggest is probably uh, uncharted three getting a lot of perfect scores. And from what I've seen completely justified, um, I've played the first and second title all the way through as of, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably, if you want a PlayStation three, that's the title you pull out to show folks what the PlayStation 3 can do. It's actually uh, one of the titles, the only titles that uh, my wife, uh, would, she'd walk by as I was playing it, and then I would find her just sitting down and watching. Nice. Because it's just so cinematic and, 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 uh, and so movie-like. Uh, I just basically said the same thing with two different words. <laughs> I, th- I think the uh, the characters in the game really sell it. Uh, they they hit the nail on the head right out of the gate with uh, with Nathan Drake Absolutely. and really all of the other characters. Um, and it's it's surprising to see just how well put together the writing is for that title as well. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll be picking that up on Tuesday. I, I'm pretty confident, which means Arkham Asylum may have to wait a little while. <laughs> yep, it'll go on pause. Yep. Uh, so we also have, uh, Lord of the Rings, War of the North. Yep. We just got that in house. So, uh, one of our writers will be checking that out. Uh, next up I want to say is Sonic Generations. Yep. Uh, that looks like a return to the old school, uh, side scroller Sonic. So we'll have to see, uh, how folks, uh, react to that. People have been asking for that since they really moved to 3D. Uh, we've seen... You know, return to to the, uh, to that faux 3D with uh, the Marvel vs. Capcom titles. So, you know, there, there's certainly a certain type of title that that makes sense. So now we'll see if folks vote with their wallet. I was actually uh, in the room with my son a little while ago, and a, and a commercial for it came on, and he was like, "Whoa, that looks like old Sonic." <laughs> nice. And uh, so, yeah, we. We may end up giving that one a shot eventually. I don't know. Been really burned by Sonic over the years. Yep. That's um, why I said we'll see if folks vote with their wallet. I think people are going to be a little cautious. Yep. And I'm rightly so. Very interested to see how some reviews come out of that one. Yep. Uh, Goldeneye Reloaded, speaking of older titles. Yep. Uh, we've got Activision's reboot of that series. Um, we've talked a little bit about that in previous podcasts. Uh, we've also got Dead Rising 2 off the record. Um, continuing the great zombie killing, putting 
uh, road cones on zombies adventure that is Dead Rising. Now, this is – is this like a – I know it, it's, a, it's a full title, right? It's not just – it's not like a DLC or anything. No, I want to say this is the one where they bring back uh, Frank West, the, the guy from the first one. Uh, and okay. you, you run around as him. Uh, so you get the whole crazy storyline with him again. And uh, more camera in hand, killing of zombies. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Sword of the Stars 2, Lords of Winter. Yep, we've got that in-house as well. So uh, we'll be taking a look at that uh, more in depth. The first Sword of the Stars uh, did really well. Uh, I'm not sure why it took so long to get this one out, especially given the, the critical success. But, uh, yep, we'll be taking a look at that one. And then the mystery title. Harvest Moon, The Tale of Two Towns. I I got to say that I have never played a Harvest Moon title. Um, I know that it's one of the most beloved tales, but I look at – I don't want to farm. Yeah. I don't. I have no interest in farming. I don't like Farmville. Uh, well, I don't like Facebook in general, but um, <laughs> I don't like Farmville, and, and the prospect of, of doing manual labor virtually just sounds insane to me. So <laughs> I'll – I'll stick with Uncharted and Skyrim. Yeah, it looks like a, a cross between an RPG and uh, what was it? Um, what was that Nintendo title? Uh, well, Harvest Moon. <laughs> no, 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 no. The uh, the one that they did themselves. Um, oh gosh, the one where you're like the little animal and or no, you, oh, you friend- Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. D- yeah, yeah, yeah. Silly me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I just, I don't know. I'm sure there's a, a market out there for Harvest Moon, but it's just not me. Right, right. Uh, on the DLC uh, end of things, we've got the Arkham City Nightwing pack. Yep, more uh, digital distribution right there. Yep, yep. Um, this one makes a little more sense as DLC, I think. Uh, seems a little odd that they have it so quickly. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that... Uh, just like the Catwoman thing, it seems to be kind of ready to go. Yeah. So why wasn't it in the game to begin with? Right, right. And I, <clears throat> there's a lot of shovelware and a lot of other things coming out this week that, that I didn't feel was worth mentioning. But there was one thing that I found that really piqued my interest. And I, I can't really find too much about it yet right now. Uh, but I'm really curious to see if it's worth a damn and apparently there is a Voltron Defender of the Universe game coming out for Xbox Live, PS3, uh, the PlayStation Network. Um, How have I not heard of this? Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, lo- I'm actually on the Voltron website and uh, and looking at some of the information I did find. And you're basically playing as one of the lions. And you're there's like space battle and you're fighting row beasts and I mean it looks very promising. It's it's kind of a almost an isometric view. Yeah, I think I remember seeing this title. I want to say it's from THQ. Uh, so yeah, you got kind of a blend of the isometric uh, lions running. Uh, what what? It's a, a shmup. Yeah, so you're kind of running up the screen shooting enemies and then there's uh another shmup portion where you're flying through the through space and you know cutting down creatures and then there's uh you know form voltron pull out the sword and fight row beasts uh kind of back and forth 
battle system. So yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure about that one. We'll have to see. Uh, thankfully, the magic of Xbox Live uh, Arcade and PSN is that you can download a demo. So yeah, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about digital distribution, how it came about, how it started gaining popularity, uh, how it's really affected the gaming industry as a whole. We also have an interview with Trent Oster of Beamdog Games. Uh, he's going to tell us a little little bit about his service. But before we get to that, uh, I'd like to introduce Victor Grun. Victor's one of our writers here at Gaming Trend, and uh, he's going to join our discussion tonight. Victor, how are you doing? Ah, doing good. So, so yeah, let's talk about the beginning of dis- digital distribution, guys. Well, I mean, if you want to look at it uh, reaching pretty far back, you can go as far back as probably the dream of the the phantom i mean that's reaching back pretty far what's the dream of the phantom well the phantom was the wasn't uh, that a movie with kiss in oh it? oh you mean the, the 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 console system everyone joked i i thought it was like a a musical for a moment <laughs> you know, was, it's probably as about as bad as a musical i was thinking of that movie with kiss in it oh good god <laughs> <laughs> uh, or or the really awful billy zane movie mm. yep so yeah, the Phantom. Um, I actually got hands-on with it. Uh, when you really look at it and you break it down, it's really no different than what we see with OnLive or uh, or other distribution channels that we have live and running right now. Um, I think the coolest thing about the Phantom, other than the look and watching their executive squirm when you ask them direct questions, was uh, <laughs> the keyboard. The keyboard is actually pretty cool. I want to say they actually distributed that keyboard at some point before they collapsed under the weight of their own hubris. They did. It was the keyboard with the little mouse uh, lap attachment thingy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all we saw out of them. Yeah. Well, again, <laughs> with the, the, the squirming and shifting. Yeah, if nothing else, they, they, they drew up a good model for it. <laughs> sure, other than the embezzlement and such. But, but oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah, it was pretty stellar. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's come a long way since then, though. The whole yeah, system, oh yeah, I mean. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, I, so, so yeah, I, I guess, uh, I guess the, this, this, the channel that really kind of brought it all together uh, and blazed the trail for everybody else uh, would be Steam. Sure. Although, oh, you know, that definitely. started out pretty small as well. Yeah. Um, beyond that, you've also got IGN's uh, Direct Drive. That's uh, digital distribution. Right. Um, so what else? Uh, Impulse, Good Old Games. Beam Dog. Uh, Beam Dog, yep. Game, uh, was it Gamers Gate? Um, well, obviously you've got Xbox Live and the PlayStation Store. Those are obviously digital, distri- digital distribution. Uh, the aforementioned On Live. The recently uh, launched Origin service from EA. Yep. The App Store. Yeah, the App yep. Store. Yep. Uh, I think those are probably some. Those are probably the big ones. Uh, fresh off my head from BattleNet or from uh, from BlizzCon, we also got Blizzard doing their own digital distribution via BattleNet now. So, right, right. And they're they're kind of getting into the the digital distribution realm. I think a few people are playing their games. <laughs> I think that I think they're pretty uh pretty uh far into it too because I know whenever you start, I mean. 
one big difference there. Whenever you start up a new account, or even if you want the DLC, they they've got it served up for you right from their servers. Oh yeah, I, one of the things that I do like about their service versus any other service when you're firing up like the uh, Diablo three beta or um, you know any of the uh, their other franchises, when you start loading it, you can load it partially and get a f- semi-functional game that you can play while the rest of it downloads. That's pretty unique. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? The, the only other, one of the only other guys I know of who really pushed that would be a Guild Wars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they pull it like, right, right while you're playing. You can just download it and stream it. and Very convenient. Nice. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, I'm trying to remember back when, when Steam first started out and, and that announcement that they made uh, that they were going to uh, – dip their toe into the pool of digital distribution. Um, it it wasn't received very well, from what I recall. No, no, I mean, you're putting, you're putting all your eggs in that basket, and what if Steam, you know, collapses? What if uh, Valve goes out of, out of business? That was, it was pretty scary. And plus there were, there were complaints about, I have to install this, you know, I don't, you know, I want to play Half-Life, I don't want to, install your other service. There were all kinds of complaints like that. Right. Sure. And what about activation on the first day, which is still a problem? But a lot of what they did has, has kind of become the, uh, the norm. Uh, you know, they, they introduced the idea of having a client that kind of, uh, that not only acts as your repository or your, your index of, of the games that are tied to your account, but as the store uh, to purchase new games as well. Sure, and a completely unified uh, user experience. So you get the every every user gets the same exact quote unquote Steam experience. One thing that I like is the turnaround. Where at first it was people were really skeptical of of getting a game that was tied to Steam because. They didn't like the idea of having to to deal with extra software when they just wanted to play the game. Now I hear a lot of people saying, if a game's not out on Steam, they're going to pass on it. Right, right. Well, I think that uh, a lot of players are also, you know, they know that it's a secure environment. Punkbuster's all integrated. So if you're playing a shooter, it's it's pretty much Steam's got it locked down for you. Uh, No fuss, no muss. It's all handled by the client. Yeah, and especially, I mean, for me, I've had a... You know, I've had computer crashes. I've lost my hard drive in the past. And one of the nicest things was when I wanted to go back and get some of my games off Steam, you just installed Steam again and started downloading rather than hunting around looking for serial numbers and disks. Oh, good God. Yeah. Uh, Although there are other services that have that kind of stuff stored. I wish more companies would do that. Like, for instance, BioWare lets you store all your CD keys in their secure store. I wish wish that that uh, would catch on. Because there's nothing more frustrating than, like, for instance, I, I pulled out uh, Dungeon Keeper 2 the other day. Got the disc. Don't have the book. Don't know where my key is. I've got a legit copy and no way to play it. Oh, man, I've been there. You know what? I was actually, I've actually had that exact experience with Half-Life 1, where I pulled it out after years, after crashes, and I, I had the legit copy right there, but no serial, nothing to do. Yep. Kind of makes you long for the days when... Well, actually, it doesn't. That was even worse. Back Were you going to say the code wheels? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn no to doubt. Page, 
Turn to page 73 and tell us what the fourth word on line six is. <laughs> oh, yes. I can remember that uh, in, what was that, uh, Pool of Ra- Pools of Radiance. Oh, yeah. Pool on the original Radiance. Commodore 64, you know, an Umbra Hulk comes staring through and starts challenging you for page numbers and crap. And, oh, you failed? Well, I just erased your save game. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> the bad old days. Yeah. So, so yeah. <clears throat> I, I think... Uh, also, it's been it's you know ha- having Valve introduce a, 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 their channel and knowing how good Valve is with their games, uh, they kind of brought that clout to the table as well. Well, that's um, had an effect internationally as well. Uh, when you look at the piracy rates in Russia and China. They're almost ninety nine percent, or in I want to say in China's case, it is ninety nine percent. Right. So even stuff you're looking at that looks legit is not legit. Whereas you know with Steam, they know exactly what they're getting. They're not getting some hacked copy with malware. They're getting the product that they're paying for. You know, sure, it's going to cost them more than the the hacked copy they might get on the corner, but they know it's legit and it's not going to hurt their computer. Yep. Um. So on the console side of things, uh, probably the the biggest trailblazer would be uh, Xbox Live. Certainly. I mean, look at uh, what it's done for the small publisher. Uh, And Steam does that as well. You know, they they give an opportunity because there's no retail channel uh, barrier to entry. You don't have to worry about paying for shelf space. You don't have to worry about paying for a box. You don't have to worry about, you know, do I have to sell my soul to... Activision or EA or whomever to get uh, a distribution deal that may leave me still poor at the end of it. Oh yeah, I think across the board that's really helped. Uh, I, I think the I know when it comes to to Valve, they're particular about who they let in, so there's there's still somewhat of a barrier, but it, it's far less of one than there used to be. But uh, even even when you go beyond Valve, I mean, I think there's a, the Xbox uh, Live, don't they have some kind of provision for putting up independent titles too? Yeah, they do. They uh, you, There's a whole indie channel mm-hmm. that you can go into and download some great games. Like uh, Super Meat Boy, I think, uh, is one of the big titles on Xbox Live, if I recall correctly. I, I got I to gotta admit, though, when, when they announced uh, the whole XNA platform and uh, – and and said that they were opening it up to have people kind of upload, you know, even smaller indie publishers or indie developers kind of upload their games. Um, it feels like that's really buried, and and they kind of missed out on some real potential that could have come out of that. It was really kind of it was really hot when it first came out because there were a few uh, really interesting titles uh, that that kind of came out of that and and developed into larger titles later, but. Uh, sure. Well, that's not uh, that's not the first time we've actually seen that uh, that sort of console development by independent people. Um, Sony put out it's a very rare item, and if any listeners have one, talk to me, please. Uh, the Netyarus. Do you remember that for the original PlayStation? I remember uh, the talk of that. Yeah. Yeah. So the the Netyarus uh, lets you develop your own titles, and I want to say. Uh, what was that? Mr. Domino, I think, was a, a Netyarus title. There were a couple big titles that made it to the shelf and did well. But uh, yeah, I mean that was that was console 
console development by independent uh, indie gamers. Yep, yep. I, I, I actually, I've, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I am a wealth of useless, useless knowledge. <laughs> um, PlayStation 3, you know, when it shipped, had a, a Linux port system as well, so there was, there was obviously room to code there as well. Right. Until um, they patched it out, but just the same. Um, yeah, so you know, when you look at Xbox Live and you look at PlayStation Network and you look at Steam, there's there's obviously a chance uh, for a content delivery network style system for people to kind of get their foot in the door. That otherwise, you know, they'd have to mortgage their house a second time and sell their house and kids you know, to try and get a chance at, at just trying to, to even get in front of a, an audience and, you know, you could still fail at that point. So there's, there's certainly a lot less risk with digital distribution. Right. I think uh, when, it, when it comes to the indie gamer part of things, uh, the, the guys who, who really helped out would be uh, – see, I'm partial to the App Store because when I originally heard about that, that they have – I think it's a 70-30 split. Apple takes 30% of any sales. Right. And you have to go through their approval process. But, I mean, you look at that store. There's a lot of – I mean – I'll put it to you this way. And when you look at uh, the indie games on there, you could tell that they're letting in a lot of people who are new to this. So right. like even, even when it comes to uh, things like Steam, what you get on Steam tends to be pretty polished, pretty top shelf, and not even for indie game indie uh, developers, not everyone is, uh, I'll, I'll say, at Steam level yet. Right. So. And and I've also heard of there are some guys who have made I mean this was early in when it was just taking off but they're making some pretty substantial money straight away just by going there so it's nice to see this sort of thing opening up doors to people who previously would have had to like you said mortgage their house or or try desperately to get in with an established company now sure. now are you talking about strictly like the iOS app store or are you talking about the Mac app store as well. Uh, I'm talking mostly iOS, the iPad, iPhone. Uh, I don't know. I don't know so much about the uh, the Mac App Store, but I know when you look at uh, what's going on with the iPad and iPhone, there's just a lot of new talented people coming in uh, through that area. So yeah, funny thing about the uh, the Mac App Store, um, they basically took the same model as the iOS App Store and applied it to their uh, their computers, and um, there has been quite a bit of activity. Uh, I mean, initially it's been a lot of ports and a lot of stuff that was already ported to the system, but it's it's really making leaps and bounds towards uh, legitimizing the Mac a little bit more as a, as a potential gaming platform. I mean, I'm looking at it right now and I mean, among other things, I'm looking. I'm seeing Psychonauts, which uh, which they released a few weeks ago. Um, you've got Call of Duty Four, Braid, uh, Lego Batman, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. A lot of solid titles are are coming along, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, pretty soon we see uh, some day one releases soon. I think. I think uh, Blizzard is is doing a good job of keeping them afloat too, because every title that comes from Blizzard, right out of the box, works on PC and Mac. Right. So I mean, they've they've kind of kept that torch aloft for uh, for Apple fans. I think one thing that that 
really is nice about the digital distribution thing is not even just for indie gamers, even for just smaller companies, having everything like in one centralized area, like everything's on Steam or everything's in the App Store. Because, I mean, when you think about it, previously, digital distribution, they could have gone off on their own. They could have said, here's our website, download the product, we'll send you a serial if you PayPal us money or something. But it's not, it's not neatly in one little area where you can browse around and see a, a wide variety of titles. So that really helps. Right. I think another aspect of it that makes it really nice uh, when you look at Steam and other titles uh, on other digital distribution platforms, uh, the the ease of patching. So I'm going to use the F word. Facebook is really simple, and everybody <laughs> likes Facebook, and uh, it, because it, it is simple, and you don't have to worry about patches, you don't have to worry about any of that crap, right? If you leave Steam running, it's kind of the same experience. It'll patch itself, it'll patch your games, it'll keep everything up to date, and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about going to a website, downloading an executable, running it, you know, letting it extract, letting it say the versions don't match, try again, contact customer service. All the hell and aggravation that PC players have been fighting with for a long time, again, it removes that barrier to entry for the average gamer that just wants to play. I don't want to play the patch. I want to play the game. Right. And Steam kind of takes that out of the, uh, out of the, the equation. You don't have to worry about it. Or it's like what we were talking with Trent about, um, you know, day one a game comes out and you're dealing with uh, driver issues, video card issues, this, that, or the other. Um, having that that kind of bridge uh, that sure, the, kind of helps middleware. you along, the middleware uh, kind of helps, you know, take take a lot of that frustration out of the equation. It's it's certainly gaining traction. Uh, I'm looking at some NPD uh, stats, and 2009, it was already an 80-20 split for uh, physical versus digital format. By 2010, that's 76 to 24. So still waiting on the 2011 stats, but I'm sure that that's going to continue to rise, especially when you look at titles like uh, Deus Ex, Day One on Steam. Yep. That you know. And you look, and on on live. And on on live, correct. Yep. So yeah, there's there's and you know Duke Nukem, if you were inclined, you could get it on both <laughs> services as well. Yeah. So yeah, some of those day one uh, titles, even physical titles. I mean, uh, Dawn of War Two Retribution. Sure, you install it via DVD, but you activate it via Steam. Yeah, I, I think this is kind of the uh, the pattern we're seeing in digital digital distribution of all types. Uh, I mean, with even even with music, it was. All right. First, we're going to access the catalog that's already there and and make that available, and then you know as as comfort is attained uh, both by the distributors and the customers, uh, more and more uh, day and date uh, releases start coming out. And I think I think we're right on the cusp of pretty much any major release uh, that you can think of. I would say probably within the next two years maybe is going to be available day and date somewhere on some dig digital distribution channel. Certainly. Well, look, I hope that uh, Netflix catches up because right now, you know, I know they want to get out of the, the physical disc business. They made that very clear. Um, but yeah, right now I can't watch day and date movies the day that they hit the shelf. I got to wait for Netflix to get their, their deal together. Uh, I know a lot of 
you know, publishers on the on the movie side don't particularly not like Netflix. They want you to buy that physical disc. But once they see, you know, I think as games go down this path and then kind of prove it out, we'll see some things like movies where it's the same thing. You know, you want to watch the new Batman movie as soon as it hits the shelf for a physical purchase. Yeah, you can rent it on Netflix. Actually, actually, you're already seeing that. Uh, it's just Netflix is kind of a, a, a in a different kind of situation because they're a subscription base. But you can buy a lot of those things like on iTunes and, and uh, iTunes and on Amazon. And Amazon, right. I completely uh, forgot about day that. Day and date these days. Uh, it's happening a lot more. You can nice. do that with it. The, with on iTunes, that's season pass, right, for some shows? Right, yeah. Yep. Nice. You know, I used to work for a cable company, and I know one of their biggest fears is digital distribution because, I mean, a lot of these neckbeards that work at the cable companies, all they've ever known is cable. You know, you, you flip on the boob tube, you watch whatever's on, when, it, when they play it, and that's your only choice. Well, then TiVo comes along, and then, okay, now you can time shift it. Well, now the internet's, you know, taking over in digital distribution. Now it's, well, you know, if you don't want to watch it right now and you don't want to time shift it, you can just download it when you want it. We get back into that bandwidth cap business, but at the same time, we're going to have to see a shift from the cable industry, uh, just, I guess, the, the service provider industry in that I don't actually want to subscribe to TV anymore. Right. I want to download what I want when I want it. On the platform I want it, if I want to watch it on my phone or I want to watch it on my computer or on a TV, they need to enable that and just give me a big stupid pipe to download it. Yeah, I think we're going to see some very interesting things in the coming years in regards to that. Uh, I know I know. Um, I, I just uh, finished reading the, uh, the Steve Jobs biography. Did you buy a turtleneck for the um, occasion? No. <laughs> No, no, I turned down the uh, the one that came with it. Uh, uh. <clears throat> but uh, at one point, uh, he he does admit to the author that he thinks he's uh, broken the uh, the code, so to speak, on on how to make a a better TV. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a a more integrated uh, TV with a kind of content delivery system coming out of Apple. Uh, in the next couple of years, they wouldn't be pioneering things because there's already those kind of things. You got the uh, the sling box, you got the Roku box. Uh, oh the oh no 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 no! I I and and you have the Apple TV. I I, I have one of those as well. I'm right. talking about uh, a a all right. Basically, you know how like with a, a Mac. Uh, you, no, you, turn, no, I you don't. don't. All right, so <laughs> the, the, one of the one of the, the big ideas of of a Mac is that you take it out of the box, you plug it in, and you can use it immediately. There's very little setup. You can pretty much just do everything. Everything just connects really, really simply. You get online, and and it's it's a much uh, it, it's it's a it's a pretty strong user experience. And it's the it's the AOL of the PC world. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that discussion right now. <laughs> well, no, I, think, I, meant, I meant more that it's actually very easy to use. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's like, a, call it a, a console version of a desktop. I mean, yes, pretty much exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, you know, they, they're controlling <laughs> the experience from the chip to the screen. Uh, I mean, so everything is very strongly integrated. 
And I think uh, we're going to see something coming out of Apple that uh, has that same strong integration of uh, hardware to service uh, that they've put in in a lot of their their products. You know, another thing that I'm reminded of, since you're talking about you know being able to watch something when you want to watch it, one thing that the digital digital distribution also does, I think it gives games more life because there are a lot of games now that it'll come out and say, I won't want to pay $50 for something on launch day. Maybe it's not my kind of game. But the nice thing about digital distribution is, and you see this especially with Steam, when the holidays roll around or the right time rolls around, they start doing their sales. Oh, yeah. And games that you would have passed up before, maybe you didn't buy it at 50 or 40, but now it's 20 or 10 or even 5. And you know, if it, were in, if it were in a physical location, that would be a box buried somewhere that you'd never even see or that you'd have to dig out. On here, it's right up on the – it's right up front and center, and that gets more sales and more people playing the games that have been put already. Yep. That is, that's the digital equivalent of that really long walk down the aisle at Fry's right before, <laughs> you, right before you get out. And you've got all that crap that you know you'd never buy. You would never buy some of those movies, which are like, you know, for five dollars, you know, I spend more on coffee. I'll buy this movie, <laughs> you know, and then you put it in your your uh, collection and and you never look at it again. But <laughs> at least on the game side of things, you know, typically it, these are classics. Or one of the things that I do love is uh, the collections that they do. So it's like, you know, here's the entire IDOS collection. It's like, wow, all right, I have all these physical copies of Hitman, but It'd be really nice if I could just shelve them and never have to fish for them again. If I want them, I just download them on Steam. Um, that actually kind of segues into something that I've been doing. I'm actually packing up my house to do some renovation work. And I actually did, with a tear in my eye, throw away a lot of physical media today. Because I know I've already got a copy on Steam. And if I ever want to play it, I can just play it. And I'm trying to kind of you know downsize the amount of stuff in my office. And that does that nicely. So uh, let's let's take a, a quick break here and uh, and and talk with Trent Oster. Trent, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Beamdog and uh, and a little bit about yourself in general? Sure. Uh, Beamdog is a digital distribution store on the internet selling PC games direct to the end users. About oh, two and a half years ago, uh, my partner Cameron Topher and myself decided we thought we could make a difference. We thought we could make the PC experience a better one. We looked at a lot of the ways people were doing digital distribution. You'd go out, you'd grab a file, an, an install package, you'd download it to some directory somewhere on your machine. You may have to buy download insurance on it. You'd double-click on it. It would launch a, a bulky installer and then pack files all over the place on your computer. We just thought there's got to be a better way to do it. So we went in, did a bunch of research, and came up with a way of packaging games so that you could quickly run them the instant they hit your computer. The download finished, they were ready to go. So that we, we went in, got all nuts, did the research, came out with what we thought. What we think is actually a pretty good end product. It's a pretty good user experience. You fire it up, see the game you want, you buy it, download it, it's ready to go. Awesome, awesome. Now, what did you do before uh, Beamdog? Uh, before Beamdog, I was one of the co-founders of Bioware way, way back in the day. 
Um, we started on our first title, Shattered Steel. There was uh, there were six of us. We managed to get Shattered Steel done. Nobody died in the process. And uh, during that time, we rolled into another title uh, called Baldur's Gate. Uh, I think I've after heard of that, that <laughs> I think the odd person might have heard of it. <laughs> but uh, after that, I went on to uh, direct the Neverwinter Nights in both expansions. And then uh, I developed uh, the engine technology. I was the, the director on the Eclipse engine, which is the engine behind Dragon Age. And then I had started on an unannounced project at Bioware that uh, didn't survive EA and the recession. So about two and a half years ago, I left EA and uh, we started up what became Beamdog. Very cool. So yeah, the the Wayback Machine says uh, 1996 for Shattered Steel, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's reaching back just a little. I feel um, old. So a little bit about Beamdog. Uh, how many titles are you guys actually sporting on there so far? We've got about 300, uh, 350 games on the service right now. Kind of a fairly eclectic mix. There's some puzzle stuff. There's a, a fair amount of strategy stuff. Um, there's an excellent uh, action shooter called MBK2 that uh, that we <laughs> we love on there. Um, just kind of a broad mix. A lot of a lot of European titles. A lot of titles that maybe aren't aren't totally mainstream. But like, uh, yeah, I noticed Two Worlds Two is on there, and then the expansion pack is on there most recently. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a fun selection. I mean, we're pretty happy with the titles we've got. We're always pursuing more titles. One of those ongoing development roles that I have. Gotcha. So MDK two, um, talk a little bit about that. I know that was uh, I think that's Overhaul Games uh, put that together. So that's what have you guys what have you guys done with uh, MDK to to kind of put it together for for Beamdog? Any changes? Well, uh, the, the big thing we started talking about what's the best way to draw some interest to Beamdog and to, to make it to really strengthen the platform. We came up with the concept of doing exclusive titles. So if we've got it, we're the only place you can get it, it suddenly makes a lot of reason for people to come take a look at the service. So we started looking at the best ways we could get exclusive titles, and being game developers, it just seemed most logical if we built them. It was probably the easiest way to get it without dishing out a huge amount of money up front or, or cutting some horrendous business development deal. So we looked back over the titles we'd worked on over our careers, and we thought, you know, if we took MDK, MDK2, which, which my business partner Cameron was the lead programmer on initially, and we made a high-definition version of it. We could make a really good game that's fun. We could keep all the good stuff, and we could take all the stuff that hasn't aged well, like the graphics engine and the models, and we could replace that with new, new higher-fidelity content. So we started off thinking, well, we'll keep it light. We'll just do some engine work. We'll redo the lighting model. It'll get better. Problem is it started to get better, so we thought, well, let's let's redo one of the characters. So we, we hired in an artist, Josh, Sean Smales and Russ Rice, two of them actually, who had worked with us on MDK2, each, uh, MDK2 originally when we were still at Bioware. They did such a good job on the character that we wound up redoing all the major characters in the game. It was one <laughs> of those things where, it's, ah, we'll just do a little bit. And then suddenly we, we couldn't stop and we radically blew over our budget and, and got all silly about it. And in the end, I think we came out with a really sharp-looking game. The gameplay is fun. It's pretty tight, pretty polished. And it's, it's funny. There's, there's moments in that game where I've probably played through it 20 times. I still snicker when I come across some spots. Nice, nice. 
So, uh, if I recall, that was originally published by Interplay. Yeah, or? it was. Uh, it was uh, one of the Interplay titles. We'd actually started development on Shattered Seal Two, and then after a period uh, with Interplay, they basically decided they didn't want to f- finish up on Shattered Steel Two. They they offered us instead, hey, would you guys like to do a sequel to Shiny's MDK? Shiny's busy doing the next thing, and, and we got this MDK property. Would you want to take a kick at it? So we took a team, and uh, it was actually the first first console title we did at Bioware on the Dreamcast. Yeah, and actually, that, I think that also hit the PlayStation 2, if memory serves. Yeah, they ported it over to uh, PlayStation 2, called it MDK2 Apocalypse. Yep, yep, I remember that. So, yeah... They, yeah. They, Interplay. So if you could, I mean, that, that's a pretty deep well, Interplay. If you could license this one, are you guys going to take any swipes at any other ones from Interplay? Like, I mean, Reaching Back, Giants, Citizen, Kabuto HD, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Hard War, uh, Messiah, Max. Uh, there's some great games from the Interplay stable. They got some interesting stuff. I mean, we've been talking a bit here and there about about what we could redo and what makes a lot of sense. And kind of our guiding philosophy is we really look for a game that we thought was a lot of fun and resonated. And and in MDK2's case, we think it was actually underappreciated. We think a lot of people never actually played it. Where we think it was such a good game, if if more people had played it, I think it would have been a, a much more popular game. Because it was, it was just fun to play. Okay, well then if I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, I'll say uh, Chop Chop on Sacrifice HD. Uh, <laughs> Planescape Torment needs an HD. Uh, I think that's probably the most underappreciated title. I know I've personally reviewed it twice. Uh, yep. I reviewed it when it first came out, and then I re-reviewed it uh, with all the HD add-ons that you can throw at it more recently. See, and Planescape Torment would be terrifying, because that's, that's like trying to write a better version of the Bible. Yeah, that would be <laughs> tough. That would be very tough. You, you, um, you screw up one minor thing and the, the savages will rip you apart. Oh, I, I assure you, no matter what you do, the savages would still rip you apart. You there's know, still, the still going to be what, that one way. person that's like, it should, it should be in its original graphics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if you really like swearing, I want to say Kingpin was also an interp- interplay title. If you want to, <laughs> you know, just have the swearing simulator, we can get Kingpin HD Life of Crime Kingpin uh, kind on. of kind of blew me away the first time I fired it up. I'd never had my computer swear at me before. It just kind of, of dropped me. Or swear at you that much. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, fast forward a little bit. We're looking at uh, at Beamdog at this point. So what's the environment like there? What do you, What's your day-to-day? Well, we're a pretty small shop. We basically have four to five full-time guys, depending on, on how things are going. Uh We've got one guy who's completely in charge of just the operations on the store, getting new products up and, and running the customer service. My role is mostly business development. So I'm the guy calling up the publishers, talking to them, trying to get their games on our service, dealing with the finances, dealing with all the, the unpleasant business side stuff that goes along with all this. Like the and press, then, uh, bastards, yeah. every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got uh, our two developers who kind of, oversee the back end and the building of new features and then as well rolling out infrastructure updates or, or new servers or whatever has to happen. Now, sifting through, um, Gaming Trend is, is really heavy on the uh, the RPG side of life. 
Uh, we've got a lot of RPG players. And looking through the uh, the Beamdog service, it looks like you actually got some of the some of the top ones. Uh, Fallout's in there. Fallout Two, uh, Jagged Alliance. What are what are some of your top titles out of the out of the the stable from Beamdog? I think I think you're hitting on them pretty good. Um, we do pretty good with the King's Bounty stuff as well. What's surprising? Um, some Russian shooters uh, precursors actually did pretty well for us. Uh, MDK Two HD is doing well for us. It's funny when we started the service, we always talked about well, what's what's our focus? What's our niche? And and for me, it was I want to be I want to be the happy place to go to get RPGs. And and I was chasing every I had a big list of like twenty five RPGs. I'm like we must have all of these. And two years later, I'm still working on that list. I'm still grinding on the people on the other end, saying you got to give us game X because we got to have that because that is. That is what people want. Well, fill in that. Fill in that top X. What's what's your must get that that's just eluded you so far? Uh, uh, what I is it? Get... Uh, Queens of Phobos, right? <laughs> no. Actually, I wanted to get all the Ultimas. Ooh. I wanted I wanted to get all the older Ultimas. Oh, I thought... you just you just hit a hit a very soft point for Ron there. I, I got to tell you. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> well, there's there's the obvious ones, like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Planescape Torment. We've got to have those. But to me, the, the Ultima series, I, I think it's something that it's old enough that a lot of people didn't get a chance to to see it and play it. And I, I think we could, I think we could do pretty happy things with that. I also some oddball stuff like Freedom Force. I think Ooh. would actually be fun. Yep, yep. I, I had a I had a good time playing Freedom Force. Well, as Mike uh, kind of alluded to, I'm, I've been a big time Ultima fan since, uh, well, since Prodigy, put it to you that way. Um, so yeah, I've got a pretty nice collection. I'm approaching having a complete collection of everything Ultima, every little onk, every little uh, you know cloth map and box in pristine condition. So that's awesome. Ultima is near and dear to my heart. Uh, for me, um, it was it was the Ultima three. I bought yep. it, brought it home. It had the box. It had the little leather, fake leather bound spell book. Yep. I I was just totally twigging out when I had that stuff. <laughs> I just Ultima four. That. Ultima four was for me. Uh, when there's a warning with a sticker on the box that says "Warning, uh, the game is over fourteen hundred hours." I mean, uh, <laughs> you, replay value. <laughs> Playing through it once is tough enough. Um, I also noticed that you have another uh, favorite of mine, which is the uh, the Disciples series. Yep. Uh, I've always enjoyed that series. It's been a, a staple of my uh, strategy gaming titles. Um, but I also noticed that you also have Dungeons, which is a pretty new uh, title. What are uh, some of the uh, the more recent titles that you guys are, are posting up? Uh, it's, it's kind of random. I mean, actually, the last couple of weeks, I haven't really been paying close, close attention because we've been too worried about MDK2 HD and getting that puppy launched, but it's... Uh, over budget? Uh, I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, just just, just slightly double over budget. That, that uh, causes a bit of stress. Sure, sure. Especially since it's one of those, it's a self-funded effort, so that kind of, that's kind of a good kick in the goods. Sure. So, I, I, I just want to touch on something real quick. Um, one thing that I, I've noticed about the uh, the digital downloads download services that have been popping up uh, since I guess 
I guess Steam really kind of paved the way uh, for a lot of it, but um, I, I really love that you know we have all of these old, classic, wonderful titles that have been coming out over the years, um, being revisited, made it easier to be accessible. Uh, I would say Beamdog and Good Old Games are probably uh, two two of the the services that. I think are really championing this the most. Thanks. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess uh, just you know, tell us a little bit about what you think of uh, some of the other services and and what what you feel Beamdog uh, offers as a as a counterpoint to those. Are all of the titles that that you're offering exclusive to Beamdog? No, the the only exclusive we have is the MDK2 HD right now. Gotcha. Most of the other titles, the, you can pretty much buy them anywhere else. We hope you buy them from us, but, I mean, you can get them anywhere else. And, and the big thing I think that we offer is that whole, you download it, it's ready to play. It just works. We spend a lot of time and effort developing a technology where we can wrap the games up and we can crush them down and send that down as fast as we possibly can so that we can just get you up and playing a game faster. There's no messing around with the installer. There's no figuring out what directory you're going to throw it in. We just handle all that stuff. If you run out of hard drive space, we tell you, you can just map another drive into the into space. It really, it was, it was almost like, uh, I hate to use the word Apple, but a, an Apple-ish design philosophy of let's make it simpler. Yep. Let's, let's get rid of some buttons because PCs are famous for buttons. Like I, I've, I've worked on PCs for the last 20 years now. And PCs are always about tons and tons and tons of options and options and options and options. And I, I think we can make a better PC. I think we can eliminate or at least push down some of the, the, the details that you don't need to deal with on a daily basis and just make things more streamlined. So you just, you see a game you want, you buy it, it comes down, you play it. You don't have to worry about, oh shit, do I have space on my D drive or is my C drive? Oh, and then you got to install it, and you're like, where the heck did I install that thing again? Oh, God, I've got to go in and tweak my driver settings. I just think we can do a better job. Yeah, I think that ties into the whole it just works kind of philosophy. Uh, yep. I know when any major PC game, uh, like AAA title comes out now, it's it's you can pretty much just gauge... Uh, reaction by how many people are complaining about the settings not working on their PC and like people screaming for patches and uh, it's it's nice that we can we can play some of these older games without having to worry about that. Well, that's the, that's the big thing. I mean, it's the PC is the, it's the most exciting and vibrant development platform because you can get so many tools for it and you get so many so many options on, on how you build some content on it. And you can get probably the best tools in the world for making games are on the PC. The downside of it is there's all sorts of batshit crazy hardware out there that you can't, you can't even guess what half the combinations are. And you'll build something and it'll look great and then you'll get it to somebody's computer and it will explode in a fiery pile. <laughs> yeah. I think on the older titles, it's also, you know, I'm a pretty advanced user and so is Mike. I can tell you how to use Moslo to, to make things run and take that 
you know, CD-ROM of, of Ultima 1 through, what is it, 7, I think. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 1 through 8, and install it and get it to work. But most people, they just want to put the disc in and make it run. So digital download kind of fills that gap by making, like I know you guys use a client to kind of add a, a kind of act as a middleware for that launcher portion. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is just about simplicity. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't want to sit down and play a game. I don't want to play the installer. Exactly. And, and I think our client, we've tried to make it as lean as possible because we know the last thing anybody on the planet wants is another client, another piece of software on their computer. But we really ran through kind of the target user experience we had in mind, which is you buy a game, it starts to download, downloads complete, you can play it. And the only way to the only way to execute that kind of flow was to build in a, a a little a little a launcher application, sure. and to have a, a player application, right? But Consistent we, user experience. Exactly. We even have a neat little feature where you can set it up so if you're at work and you buy a game, your computer at home, if you've left it on and you've got that setting in the Beanbell client, the instant you buy a game, your computer at home grabs it and starts downloading it. When you get home, your game's ready to go for you. Nice. So uh, one of the other features that uh, a lot of digital download services have uh, touted is, you know, for whatever reason, let's say that Gabe Newell suddenly decides that he can count to three and makes uh, Half-Life 3, and it's so ungodly expensive that it shuts down the entire Steam service. Everything you've bought will suddenly just magically work without Steam. How do you guys handle that on your side of things if, you know, you decide to create a new MDK title and run yourselves out of money how how do users get their content uh, that they've purchased? Well, the big thing we've we've kind of committed to doing is if we we're committed to staying in business. I mean, no matter what's going on, we're going to keep being dug kicking. If for some reason there's a, a nuclear meltdown and and I can't manage to scrape up enough money to run some servers, we'll basically set the the, essentially like almost like CD keys that people have, their permission keys, to sure. infinite. So basically your software is there, it's on your machine, it's it's free for you to use. Very nice. cool. Nice. So it's less of a subscription service and more of a uh, one-time download. Yeah, you buy the game, you own the game. And, and you know what, if you want to use it on another computer, just go right ahead. The way the Beamdog client works... We allow the client to run one copy of the game at a time. So if you're on your gaming laptop you want to play, fire up your laptop, download the game there, play it. If you want to play on your PC at home, go ahead. Nice. <clears throat> so so what if... Uh, do, you, do you have anything in place for like... Uh, say for instance, uh, I have two computers and uh, my son and I want to play head-to-head... Uh, like a head-to-head strategy game like, uh, um, I don't know, Disciples or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have something in place? Do you have to just basically buy another uh, key for it? Or or do you have something in place to where you could, you get maybe like a, a slight kind of discount on it? Yeah, we haven't actually dealt with that situation yet. I mean, right now the best way to do that is to have two separate accounts and two separate versions of the of the software essentially mm-hmm. but i mean it's something we can as a service we kind of do what our partners the the publishers want with their titles right and that's an area that they're 
they're not really pushing us very hard to to kind of innovate in. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So um, another big thing that's been coming up lately, and I see that you've actually written about it on your blog, is cloud gaming. Um, this is almost approaching uh, the kind of the industry is almost approaching the point where they don't want to sell you games anymore. They want to sell you a client and have you log in and play it remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, 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 I imagine I, you're a gamer too. I, I hate it. <laughs> I, I don't hate, I don't hate the concept of, of a subscription and constantly getting new games that are awesome. I hate the, I, I fundamentally disagree with the technology. I, I think that they are, they're optimizing on the wrong axis. Never in the history of computing has processor power and graphics power been this cheap. But at the same time, bandwidth is still very limited and latency is, is, is always a constant. So you're optimizing to make it run on cheaper hardware by at the expense of bandwidth, which to me is, is ass backwards. You should be optimizing it to run on the best hardware that people have at their homes using the least bandwidth possible. I mean, if you, if you look at an executable from a, from a very high-level perspective, it's actually a very effective means of compression. You're delivering a little package of assets that can balloon out into 80 hours of content. Whereas the other axis, you've got an on-live service where 80 hours of content is 80 hours of streaming 720p content. And that's it's chewing up a lot of bandwidth. Yep. And in the days of uh, bandwidth caps, that, that goes very quickly. Oh, and, and to me, latency is the biggest, the biggest issue. It's, as a game developer, we obsessed around removing latency from video games. Like even making the mouse move faster on your screen so it feels better. If I had to take a mouse input, send it to San Francisco, do some computing there, and then get the mouse input back and display that on my screen, that, that kills me. That just terrifies me, the latency that's there. Even if you've got really fast computing, you've, you're, you're sitting close to a data center, it's still going to be noticeable. It's still going to feel laggy. And it's just going to, you're not delivering the game experience that you as a game developer obsessed about creating. It's, it's being, not, not destroyed, but it's being reduced in its effectiveness by that, by that technology. I think the technology is brilliant. I think the guys who managed to get that service working are amazing. But I, I just uh, introducing latency to a game is never a good thing in my books. Well, I won't. Uh, I won't be specific, but I used to work for an ISP, and let me tell you, uh, they look at gaming traffic as scavenger class traffic. So you are dead last, and I completely agree. That is that is an awful way to predicate. You know, how do I snipe if I'm scavenger class traffic? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's it's like as a developer, you spend five years of your life cooking your heart and soul into a title to make it the best it can possibly be. It goes out onto a computer, and somebody's having a lousy experience in it because it's 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 laggy, and you know it's nothing you did, and it, it's just heartbreaking to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think conceptually, uh, you know, cloud-based anything is is a great idea, but in reality. It's it's just we're not there yet. Um, it, it if you're going to to base your business model around something that is so 
uh, flaky and variable, like uh, like bandwidth, the internet, the internet then uh, then you might want to reconsider. It, it just it, gaming just doesn't seem like uh, we're ready for that step yet. And it's I think it's the the fact of collecting input, ramming it over, running the process, and then compressing the video and sending it back. What we're ready for, I mean. The MMO space kind of shows the, the, what I consider almost the middle ground of cloud gaming, which is local input processing, local simulation, and then rule simulation and, and game simulation done on a server. The, the key there is you're really limiting the input windows and the output windows, mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel as, as bad of an experience. But anybody who's played an MMO, I mean, you've had lag. You've felt it lag out, and that's a better scenario in my mind than the remote control client kind of cloud experience we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, uh, thanks for uh, speaking with us today, uh, Trent. And uh, um, we'll we'll be looking forward to more uh, of Beamdog's releases as time goes on. Yeah, we'll we'll have fun. And, I mean, with Overhaul... we kind of have the Beamdog half of the business, and we've got the Overhaul half of the business. Now that MDK2 HD is done, we're looking at the next thing. It's going to be fun. We can't really talk about it yet, but uh, we've, we've definitely got some interesting things to bring forward and, and ways to update some older games. So it's, it's going to be fun. Very cool. Excellent. Well, when, when those are ready, you are more than welcome to, uh, to join us for our next uh, podcast. It sounds excellent, guys. Thanks very much. So, so yeah, I, I think that really kind of underscores another great thing about digital distribution uh, that has happened in recent years, and that's the advent of sites like Beamdog and good old games, uh, kind of bringing up some of these these old classics uh, and classics that you know maybe we never even heard of the first time around, and uh, and making them available once again and making them easy to to play on modern machines. Certainly. Um, looking over Beamdog's catalog, I mean, right now they're doing a sale for Halloween. If you want to go back and play the old Commandos games, which, by the way, they hold up very, very well, they're $2.50 a piece. Uh, it, it's hard to argue with that. Um, on on good old games, same thing. Everybody's doing their Halloween sales. Uh, i got to put my plug in for Ultima Underworld 1 and 2 for 6 bucks. Nice. Oh, fantastic games. Crusader No, Remor- no Remorse, 6 bucks. So yeah, if you want that trip down memory lane and you want it in a in a format that you're not going to have to fight with boot disks or anything else, there you go. And and I feel like this is going to going to bring about uh as that as these old games, you know, start gaining popularity again, I think we're going to see some sequels that we might not have seen otherwise. Well, speaking uh, of sequels, I mean, you, The Witcher, the original Witcher. Yeah. Witcher 2 came out, but you need a cray to run the damn thing. Uh, but the the original Witcher is nine ninety nine, and that's not exactly hitting a new or an old game, right? So yeah, I mean that that right there is proof that you know di- with digital distribution you could eke out a sequel. I mean, it's just an opportunity for. I mean, it's it's easy money, really. Uh, I, I mean, yes, there's bandwidth issue, issues to consider, but I mean, this is stuff that otherwise would be collecting dust uh, or. Or games that no one would would create physical media more, for again because it, there would be too much hassle involved and 
and it, it's just really nice to see them gain popularity again or or you know be like oh man i haven't played that in 10 years i'd, I'd love to play it again sure and, and boot it up theme you know, hospital theme hospital is one of those games that i play almost on an annual basis I install it, I laugh my ass off, I beat the game, I uninstall it. <laughs> nice. You know, uh, speaking of that, like, I don't know if you guys have ever played it, Alternate Reality, The City and the Dungeon. Those no, I've never heard of it. Nope. Old, old, old RPGs. I played those things on the, I think the Atari 800 XL. That's how old they are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and just, I think just this week or so, uh, on iTunes, they're releasing some older games. That game is coming back on the iPad and the and the iPhone. So when you're talking about old games getting new life, I think that's a that's a model example because that was a niche game even when it was out. I, I just I just realized that there's already a good case for what I was just talking about, Monkey Island. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean we just saw a sequel to that, and and that was part and parcel because of. The, the renewed success of the game through new channels. Well, and then we saw the uh, the update for it on Xbox Live Arcade. Yep. So, you know, a whole new generation of, of gamers got to experience the awesomeness of when LucasArts was actually funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know they closed down the funny division, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's closed. Doors boarded up. It's a sad thing. Oh man, it's it's. I don't think they're even doors at this point. They're just like archways, yeah, ruins of a of a once glorious time. There's a there's a lot of great games though. Um, like Good Old Games is a really good example. I I just I can't speak highly enough of that service. When I look through the titles that they have, uh, you know, sure they have some titles that you're like, eh, you know, I didn't like that when it was new, but uh, they do have some titles that even like my wife would love. Uh, the Journeyman Project. Uh, is a great point and click adventure. It's very very simple, and it's six bucks. So, you know, it's something that I could kind of take a very low risk. Or the longest journey is another great point and click adventure that I could put my wife in front of and say, "Hey, here's some perspective on why I love point and click adventures so much. Here's where they started from, and it's not so archaic that you know she'd be like, "What is this crap that I'm playing?" You know, it's still enjoyable, and I don't have to go hunt for physical media. Or God help me, a code wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the adventure games that genre in particular has taken off with uh, digital because there there was a long time, man, where there was nothing like that. On nothing. The, yeah, and now it's come back. Now you see uh, a, a whole lot of games like that, like the Back to the Future series. Sure, Jurassic Park. Same yeah. developer. Yeah, Telltale. Yep. Yeah, and I and I honestly have to like and yeah, Telltale itself being a big one. I have to wonder if we would be seeing stuff like that if they were forced to do the whole box and CD thing. I don't think they'd. I don't think they'd be around. No, and and it's the whole serialized quality that they bring to it as well. I mean, <clears throat> uh, unfortunately, Valve was trying to to go that route, and well, Valve Valve should just you know make awesome games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think good old games has really got the the kind of the, the corner on those older games. Like for instance, for people that have never played Zork, oh. you know, you can go back and play through the Zork series. Or uh, you know, it, it's not just RPGs. You can go back and play Wing Commander or uh, 
you know, uh, the original Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Redemption. Yeah, those titles are all there. And again, it's very, very, it's, it's, everything's prepackaged. It's very simple. One of the things that I do like about uh, good old games above Beamdog or even OnLive or uh, Steam is that you can go in there and grab the original manual and you can grab the soundtrack and uh, those wallpapers, all that stuff that came in the box that made you go, you know, ooh and ah when you, you know, crack the plastic is still there. You know, when you look at uh, Fallout was a good as a good example. The, the manual for Fallout is huge. Uh, I want to say it's like 160 some odd pages or something like that. And uh, but it, it's all there. You know, if you if you want to go grab it, it's it's yours if you buy it. Yeah, we've been affiliated with GOG since, gosh, almost the beginning, and it's since the beta. Yeah, since uh, you know the watching watching that channel kind of mature, and and watching them keep to their their core value of providing the these good old game experiences, in, including the manual and that sort of thing. Uh, has been just kind of a treat, uh, notwithstanding that debacle of a press release they did a while back. But oh yes, that, that, thank you. Please stop with the megaton announcements, both you <laughs> and Nintendo. Just knock it off. No more. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, digital distribution is there. There's a lot of really positive things. There are some things, though, that have certainly rubbed us all the wrong way. Um, I think DLC has to be talked about if you're going to talk about digital distribution. Because obviously that's the only way you're getting DLC. Um, horse armor, anyone? Uh, the, the $3 pallet swap unlock for horse armor in, I want to say, was that uh, Oblivion, I think? Yeah, that was Oblivion. Yeah, I mean, fantastic game. But, but why that? Uh, you know, you've got developers, most of them have kind of gotten out of this habit, but there's still some folks out there that, that insist on locking content that's already ready to go at when the game is ready to ship. But if you want it, you're going to have to spend another, however much money. Um, I think the one that really just completely blew my mind was recent rage. So I get all these folks telling me about, you know, going into the sewer and taking out these creatures and blah, blah, blah. I find the sewer uh, uh, manhole and I go to open. Oh, sorry. You have to purchase the DLC for that. Like, you've got to be kidding me. At least hide it a little bit. Well, I think I think an even more egregious uh, recent um, instance of that. Uh, and, and Justin wrote about it in his review for Arkham City. The entire the char- the character of Catwoman. It, you get it if you purchase the game initially. Right, if you purchase it new. If you purchase it new. Um, but if you don't, you have to purchase it. I'm, I'm kind of okay with uh, the way that Ubisoft does it. So if you want to play the multiplayer component of whatever game, that's the thing that costs money. Servers cost money. Bandwidth costs money. So you know, if you buy a game used... They're really not losing anything out of you playing the single-player experience. But if you want to play uh, the multiplayer experience, it's going to be another five bucks out of your pocket. But yeah, uh, when you look at Batman having an entire character arc with story and everything completely locked, unless you bought the game new, eh, that that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yep. 
Well, I know, well, like you said, that that's I know I know that's it involving the digital distribution end of things, but that's really more of a war on resales and you know the the whole tradition of going into a brick and mortar store and selling your old game for you know twenty bucks, and they're selling it for forty five bucks, and they're pushing it really hard. So right. that's a that's a complex because I mean one thing you know with PC games you don't get that there's no selling your PC game and buying it again used that doesn't happen. Right. It used to be like that though. Yeah. Um, I used to run an electronics boutique and we most definitely took PC games, but there's a whole problem with that as well. You know, you get a game and you know the CD key might be used, which means it's locked out for the next person who owns it. There's a lot of things with the PC that that were kind of frustrating or. People would buy games, copy them, and then give them back. It's certainly not that easy on the console, although it is possible. Oh yeah. Well, and and then you have then you have some some properties, some franchises themselves, kind of creating their own distribution channel, uh, like uh, Rock Band to a certain extent, and and what they're going for with uh, Modern Warfare uh, coming up into this next version. Uh, I I'm not totally against the idea of providing an additional service to further enhance the game. Sure. Rockman um, has what? 2000 plus tracks. Right. That that's not that's not them pulling money out of your pocket. That's extending the users. That's extending the life of the game. I, I think uh, Victor alluded to that earlier. It it makes the game live on. Exactly. But I mean, it, it only works if the content is worth it. And I guess right. that's what remains to be seen with this new uh, Modern Warfare uh, distribution channel. Talking about the was it Call of Duty Elite, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just hope they have a lot of good hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm actually uh, working on a review right now for uh, for Skylanders, and uh, I'll have that up uh, by the time you hear this. And uh, one of the things that you do get in the game is hats and. I can't believe just how giddy I was when I got a damn pot for that for my little dragon's head. I'm like, oh my god, it's a hat! It's awesome. What is it, <laughs> what is it about hats that that's made us all stupid? Well, yeah, and the, like the Team Fortress too. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm surprised at how effective that stuff is because I know Do Sex like that's a like the, the the most recent one. It's a good game, and I was gonna get it, but I wasn't sure about launch day. But when I saw the hats and the DLC weapons. I was sold immediately. Hats, so, they hats for uh, for what? Team Fortress for Deus Ex? Yeah, they, they, you know, they do that a lot with crossovers. You got a few hats. You got like, I forget how many weapons, but it was like a mix of eight weapons and hats if you pre-ordered. Nice. And you'd get them immediately. So, yeah, the, all kinds of interesting DLC coming out with digital distribution. So on the, on the PC side of life, uh, we've got an example of that coming up on December 20th. Uh, if you buy the collector's edition of the Old Republic, you get access to a special store that's only for CE folks, and you get access to some quests and stuff that are only available for collector's edition folks. Uh, they've completely locked you out of content uh, because you didn't not only pre-order but also pre-order the collector's edition. So, uh, you know, how about that? That's content you could never have. Unless they, in some way, unlock it later. Oh, they'll unlock it later. That's that. That's that's a, a revenue channel that they can't afford to pass up. <laughs> you know, I, if if I hadn't seen so much of the old Republic to go, there's entirely too much content already. 
<laughs> oh yeah, but you uh, know, there's going to be some some nut job who like burns through it in a week and is like more, more, more. Right. <laughs> I, I may be that nut job. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I pre-ordered but, the CE though. <laughs> but then, but then you have Blizzard on the other hand too. Uh, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, the collector's edition, uh, or no, the WoW subscribers um, getting a full copy of Diablo three. Right. Again, as, as part of their subscription, no risk. That's All huge. I have to do is push up the bandwidth, and you know the bandwidth thing. Again, I'm reaching into my my cable provider hat. Um, you know they use services like uh, Google's uh, service or Akamai or other uh, content delivery engines that push that content closer to the user. So you know the user experience they're getting it faster because they're getting a local copy. Um, you know they they have distribution channels all over the world. Blizzard uses that same technology to push that content closer to the user, so it seems like it's a much better service. And it's not always that content's not always being directly served from Blizzard. It just looks like it. So they're they're getting an opportunity to get much closer to their you know twelve million plus subscribers for uh, for uh, um, what's that big game that has twelve million? Uh, World of Warcraft. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I have trouble remembering. <laughs> All I could think of was Kung Fu Panda. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there, there's obvious, uh, you know, digital distribution is allowing them to reach 12 million people that might not otherwise play Diablo. Right. It's not so much um, of a downside now, but maybe in the future. You know, I mean, we've talked about for uh, for smaller developers, for independent developers, it provides them a lot of opportunities, but the one possible worry I could see is it's getting to the point where on Steam you know if your isn't on Steam it's invisible in some areas Right. I have so, another concern uh, that kind of ties in with that as well when you look at the uh, the Apple iStore uh, the uh, what do they call it the App Store apps, uh, yeah. on the Apple uh, products there, there is a certain uh, level of quality associated with the products you don't see a ton of knockoffs uh, or at least comparatively to the Android store. Yeah, there's the a lot Android of uh, market is 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 flush with crap. Well, and see, that's <laughs> the thing. You know, if you're if you're managing a channel like this, you really have to kind of keep a close eye on that noise to signal ratio. Um, I mean, you have to make it easier for the user to to find the gems, to to find you know to sift through it and and find the good stuff. Right. Um, I mean, certainly, certainly having uh, stuff like user reviews and that sort of thing enabled uh, it helps that considerably. Uh, you you do have to you do have to kind of use that stuff wisely, though, because when you look at um, when you look at Xbox Live, they have you know the the user rating system, but almost everything is five stars. It's right. it's just it's lost its value, and then trying to find a specific DLC. On uh, on Xbox Live is painful. Yeah, that that indexing portion is really important. Well, I have a feeling there. That's one of the things they're trying to clear up with uh, this Connect uh, uh, stuff that they're introducing into the core operating system. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> I just bought a Connect yesterday. Ah, welcome to the club. Yes, and um, was tinkering around with it, uh, 
saw that there was actually a Connect uh, channel, a distribution channel specifically for the Connect stuff, and just like a lot of little doodads and mini games. I guess I, I think they call it Connect Labs. Uh, haven't really tinkered around with it too much, but it, it looks mostly just like little flights of fancy, like nothing, just experiments, they're, which, yeah, which I think concepts. is great. Which is they're great. Concepts. Uh, because I, I heard that they're they're taking some of these ideas that hackers are coming up with for the Connect and translating it into into that. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely a great way to to have to kind of crowdsource the the functionality and and uh have people kind of push the technology sure and why not it, it makes sense to to listen to the folks that are figuring out how to use your hardware better than you have yeah and and i think they they kind of learned learned that lesson from watching uh nintendo kind of shut everybody out for so long um I think there is there is a huge portion of digital distribution that we're ignoring now, the Kindle. Oh yeah. yeah. So you're looking at uh, over 18 million movies, TV shows, songs, magazines, and books directly from the bullet off of the Kindle Fire. Um, things that we that we've expected to die already, like physical newspapers, those are going to be distributed by Amazon straight to your Kindle. Um, you know, cloud storage, pulling magazine subscriptions to all those magazines that you'd physically get every month can now be distributed quicker. Well, unless it's by Valve, um, <laughs> they can be digital. They could be digitally distributed quicker, um, and you could have biweekly magazines. You can have daily magazines like uh, the Wall Street Journal or whatever. Uh, delivered directly to this ubiquitous device that you carry with you. And uh, again, there's no need to carry that physical media. Yeah, a- Apple's been doing that too with their, their newsstand and their uh, their iBook store um, and working with uh, Rupert Murdoch on that, that daily, the, I guess it's the daily. It was probably the most prominent experiment in that uh, in that arena so far. Uh, the problem primarily with, with the, the newspapers and, and the periodicals, uh, has, has been resist, you know, severe resistance from the, the content providers on that. Uh, uh they're called neckbeards. <clears throat> well, go on. <laughs> the, what it, what it really boils down to is, uh, the reason why that they were balking at Apple, uh, when Apple tried to, to bring the concept to them was, uh, they they thought that they they felt that they had the right to the uh, subscription information of the customers that were purchasing their product, um, so that they could continue to advertise to them, so that they could you know go to them directly for renewals, that sort of thing. Right. And uh, and really, kind of, it just boils down to trying to adhere to the the old model uh, that they had which worked for them for so many years, but which is completely failing them now. Um, and, uh, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the, uh, the coming years. Certainly. Well, I mean, look at music. When was yeah. the last time you bought a physical disc? Yeah. Yep. So that, that, that model of churning out a paper and putting it on a newsstand every day where somebody has to go fetch it, sorry, those days are dead. Same thing with, with music. 
I don't want to download uh, the entire disc. I want to grab the, the songs that I like. Well, and, and the one thing, the one aspect about periodicals that I feel would would make it make it the whole concept just this kind of killer app kind of thing is archives. They have years in some, you know, decades in some cases of material that they've got archived in their systems. Make that available. Sure. You know, have imagine if you were. I remember when I was doing research papers back when I was uh, in high school and going up to uh, the local college campus and, you know, busting out microfiches and and looking up old newspapers and and stuff like that for uh, in magazines uh, to, you know, quote and and to to use as reference material for, for research papers. Just, just so you're aware, you said words that I know some of our readers will have no idea what the hell those words mean. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, I know some of that content is available online to a certain extent, but Im- imagine if it was closer to the format that it originally appeared in in some way that you could view on a computer or a tablet or something. I feel like they're they're just kind of missing out on on that concept. Certainly, you and know, I know I, actually, comic books comic books are going through this growth process right now. Um, you know, DC just relaunched every title that they had and and pared it down to fifty two comics a month, um, and they they are available day and date digitally. Nice. And and they're 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 doing the right thing, and and it's starting to come around. Uh, when it comes to uh, the journalist side of things, I know the, the, the I know on the iPad, like that's what I use a lot. I, I love that as a as a kind of laptop substitute. I'm seeing a lot of comics coming in through the digital distribution. Yeah. I think when it comes to the journalist end of it, I wonder how much of the worry is because I know early on when. Uh, Internet journalism first started to take off. A lot of the response from the the old standbys, the New York Times, the the people who had paper distribution, was kind of looking down on the the internet aspect of it, thinking, you know, if you write online, that's one thing, but if you write on a newspaper and it's printed on on paper, you're in a completely different class. So I think that that's part of the problem with the transition, where no one wants to be just another person writing on, you know. In the same arena, there's a an eliteness attached to the uh, the old way. There's some money attached to it too. So if you're going to write for a newspaper, that's a job, and somebody has to go through your work and hire you and take a risk that their money backed publication will hurt in some way if you suck. Um, whereas, as Mitch says, everybody can own a blog. Not everybody should. Well. <laughs> It, I mean, even even deeper than that, it's uh, the the old model uh, relied heavily on advertising. Uh, I mean, most of the profits and most of the revenue from uh, these publications came from advertising. Sure. And and if you, I mean, you know, when you take it to the net, advertising is vastly marginalized. People can turn it off if they want to through their browser. But I think I think the key to digital digital distribution of any kind 
And we've seen this uh, already happen with the music industry, and it's starting to happen more with uh, the movie industry. And that's, you know, you, you, there will always be people pirating what you're doing, but people are willing to pay for convenience and for quality. Certainly. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, we've seen in the movie industry uh, with advertisement as well, though. I mean, think about if you go to the movies. While you're sitting there and you're a captive audience, they're going to play commercials. Commercials yeah. that you could skip with your TiVo, but you're stuck watching them while you wait for your latest, uh, you know, whatever movie. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you even see it with uh, with streaming content. So Pandora, you're listening to Pandora. If you're a subscriber, no commercials. If you're not, well, you're going to listen to commercials. Yep. And and I can understand advertising on a subscription model. I think if you're paying directly for the content, then then the, the model should be reflected accordingly. Certainly. Well, awesome. Uh, I think this has been a great discussion. Uh, I hope our readership chimes in with uh, some additional thoughts on digital distribution. And uh, and it was a great great interview with Trent Oster. Yep, Trent Oster of Beam Dog. So yep. go out and buy some awesome games through the internet. <laughs> Be and, a consumer whore. Yes. And how? Yes. <laughs> uh, lower your uh, carbon footprint. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and and play on. And thanks, uh, thanks very much to Victor for joining us for this. Hey, my pleasure, man. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So, yeah, this is the Gaming Trend Podcast for the week of October 31st. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>